Welcome to the FTF Exchange Podcast. This is Maureen Lowe, founder and president of FTF. In this podcast series, we speak with industry professionals from leading financial and technology firms in capital markets. We will discuss an array of topics from current events to the latest fintech updates to human interest stories from time to time. Through these discussions, we strive to foster thought leadership and information sharing, and we certainly welcome comments and feedback for future episodes. Hello, everyone, and thank you for watching another edition of the FTF Exchange podcast series. Today, we are speaking with Alexander Sokol, founder, executive chairman, and head of quant research at Compatible, which is a trading and risk solutions provider. Compatible is also the winner of the FTF award for best cloud-native computing initiative. Alexander founded Compatible in 2003, and today we're going to talk a little bit about the history of Compatible and where it is heading. Alexander, before we dive into all of the questions, could you tell us a little bit about how you got involved in financial technology? Okay, thank you, and thank you for having me on the podcast. Uh, yeah, so it's a very interesting story. I'm a scientist by training, um, a theoretical physicist. Um, you know, I defended my uh, PhD in the Soviet former Soviet Union uh, in 1990. Uh, by 1991, I was a postdoctoral uh, research associate at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. And by 1996, I was assistant professor in the same physics department there, which was actually in my in my area of physics was uh, at the time ranked number one. So I was, you know, I, I thought I had a great job. Uh, you know, I love physics. Uh, and uh, just out of pure curiosity, you know, I went to uh, a presentation at the University of Chicago, which is actually not there very far from Urbana-Champaign, by someone named Michael Goodkin, uh, who was talking about intellectual property and how scientists can develop, you know, what he was calling intellectual property, and then you know apply it to commercialize it. Just pure research, uh, pure, pure interest. Uh, you know, I was a scientist at the time; it was just you know intrigued me. Uh, so I made a trip to Chicago, and uh, Michael, you know, he had a very interesting career. He was one of the first people to apply program trading uh, uh, on Wall Street. So you know, he was one of the first people to apply computers to execute trades, as opposed to mm-hmm. uh, traders, uh, and. And uh, so he was talking about how, you know, research uh, is not just for publication, right? So for me, you know, growing up in the Soviet Union and uh, having gone through the academic career or, you know, basically physics studies in the Soviet Union, it's absolutely fascinating that uh, something that you do in research, that your product is not necessarily a paper, right? So you can actually apply it to the industry. Of course, had I given some thought of it, you know, I would realize that that, uh, you know, that's how technological innovations happen. But for a Soviet scientist, this was uh, completely new. And uh, Michael and I spoke after the, uh, uh, his presentation. And uh, I said that, you know, I thought that knew something about Monte Carlo. I heard that Monte Carlo is used on Wall Street. And I thought that uh, perhaps we could do something together. And uh, Michael gathered a team, uh, which consisted of three scientists, uh, Mitchell Feigenbaum, uh, who has since passed away, uh, Nigel Goldenfeld, uh, who is a very well-known physicist, uh, and myself, and we're the three scientists and one entrepreneur. And uh, he introduced me to, uh, and, and, and uh, everybody actually, to uh, Craig Bouchard, who was at the time was running a trading desk at First Chicago. Uh, and uh, from Craig, we learned about uh, what challenges on Wall Street exist that he thought that mathematics and physics could solve. And this was absolutely fascinating, no, not just for the Soviet scientists, but also just generally for you know, any scientist in American university, because we went from the first floor in a building uh, where clerks were taking people's money, it's all very serious suits, you know, ties, to the top floor where the trading desk was. And there on the wall was a giant painting of a gambler uh, sitting at the roulette desk, uh, you know, with the stacks of cash. 
Uh, so first thing I thought that uh, maybe we should focus on risk management because it didn't some, sound like, uh, you know, it's a very, didn't sound risk-free at all, uh, the way that it looked on the first floor. Uh, and from Craig, we learned uh, that uh, Monte Carlo is used to price derivatives. Uh, we went back to our universities and uh, we worked together on the algorithm. And eventually we were able to sell this algorithm uh, to Merrill Lynch and, you know, for, for the, what to me at the time was ab seemed absolutely giant sum of money, around a million dollars. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's how um, I got into finance. And, uh, you know, I, I love physics. I love what I was doing in physics, but this was even more interesting and even more attractive. Uh, Alexander, can you tell our listeners, uh, just explain to them what, what a quant is and what, what a quant does? Quant is someone who applies mathematics and sometimes even physics to financial markets. Uh, it may be pricing of financial instruments uh, or calculations of the risk of financial instruments. For example, if there is a transaction called a swap where one party uh, pays floating interest rate and the other party pays fixed interest rate, Quant would calculate how much this transaction is worth. They would also calculate the risk of a transaction, namely the likelihood that the transaction would lose a certain amount of money over a certain period of time. When I was starting in finance in 1996, uh, Quants were using pen and paper. Then they would hand over their handwritten calculations uh, to software engineers who would then write code implementing these calculations. But since then, you know, the meaning of quants have been evolving. The skills set has been expanding. And now there are, you know, still analytical calculations here and there. But uh, today, quants have to know a lot more uh, to be successful. They have to know programming because uh, sometimes you don't use pen and paper. You use, uh, you write software programs. They have to know machine learning. So it, the definition of what means to be quant is expanding and uh, new skills are being added. But at the core of it, is still using math or physics to price financial instruments or to calculate the risk. So what inspired you to uh, to start another company after numerics? Well, uh, you know, I was inspired to start another company after numerics because I wanted my dream job back. So, you know, when uh, we started numerics, uh, I was a uh, chief technology officer. I was running technology. I was also head of quant research. Uh, so I was working on research. I was also designing the software, which at the time actually was uh, somewhat unusual. You know, now it's more common when uh, uh, there is an intersection of uh, math and technology and the same person is responsible for both. So at the time, quants were mathematicians with pens, software engin engineers were writing code. So I was doing both. And I like what I was doing. But, uh, you know, numerics was um, uh, acquired. So the majority interest in numerics was acquired by a gentleman named Greg Whitten who was uh, one of the first employees of Microsoft, and he is a Harvard-educated mathematician uh, and, uh, you know, absolutely brilliant uh, person. Uh, and, uh, you know, he wanted, uh, when he uh, retired from Microsoft, uh, he wanted to have um, uh, a company to run uh, where he could, you know, be a mathematician and a software engineer, which is exactly what I was doing and what I wanted to do. So when Greg joined Numerics, he eventually became active within the company, and uh, he wanted to do what I was going to do. So eventually I realized that in order to get my dream job back, I just had to start another company. So Greg had my job at the old company. I had my job at the new company. And that's how Compatible was started. What did you learn at Numerics that helped you oversee Compatible for the past 18 years? I think the most important thing that I learned at Numerics that helped me run Compatible is the experience in uh, building uh, and managing remote teams. Today, we'll, we'll do it by necessity. Uh, you know, the past two years, we had the pandemic. People who previously worked in the same room and had this experience of working in the same room had to recreate this experience working over Zoom. At Numerics, we had a different reason to do the same thing. Because when we're building the company, we wanted to hire the very best. And the very best is not always in the same city. 
so we had someone who was my right-handed uh, and really my, my, my partner in uh, developing the libraries at Numerics uh, was in California, Dmitry Linda. We also had someone um, who actually started in Japan. Eventually, he came to Illinois, Valery Salov. So uh, several key people in um, uh, technology were in different locations and couldn't move to the same location, especially this was not exactly you know the most um, convenient location in the middle of the cornfields near Chicago. So we had to learn how to do it before Zoom. Zoom didn't exist. WebEx, uh, I don't believe, existed either. So we were using bulletin boards, using phones instead of, uh, you know, the internet was too slow for video and even for voice. Uh, Skype, in fact, became prominent uh, only later as the first uh, chat application or the voice um, application. So we're using phones. Uh, we spent a lot of money on long distance. We're using bulletin boards. And we learned how to build remote teams. And at Compatible, it helped tremendously because uh, even before the pandemic, we had teams that spanning our multiple offices. So we have, you know, six offices. Uh, we opened in seventh actually this year. Uh, and uh, you know, we have people in New York and London and Singapore uh, and also several other locations. Uh, and uh, building remote teams, I think that was the critical skill that I learned at Numerics and applied at Compatible. Do you remember a moment or an episode when you knew that Compatible? was going to succeed? So I think of it um, on day one, I just knew it was going to succeed. So so, so this was, um, you know, the day I decided to start the company, I knew it was going to succeed. And I think it just cannot be any other way. Um, I have a friend, you know, David Young, so he's a very successful entrepreneur. We, we studied together uh, in a former Soviet Union. Uh, so he once said uh, that, you know, he, he started several highly successful companies. So he once said that a founder, right, someone entrepreneur, a founder, someone who starts companies, he has to believe that a plane can be built overnight and will end up building it in a week. All right. So, you know, as a founder, is someone who just has to have, you know, this absolute faith in uh, success, right? If you don't have this faith in success when you just have uh, uh, little funding, uh, the odds are against you, you have competitors which are huge successful companies. Unless you have this belief that you're going to succeed, you're just not going to succeed. So I was absolutely sure from day one that Compatible will succeed. It absolutely no doubt, and uh, you know that that's why eventually it succeeded. Mm -hmm. So, what was your biggest challenge when you were launching Compatible? That's actually a very interesting question. Um, I don't think we really have, uh, as I recall, this early years, which of course was you know almost nineteen years ago. I don't think we had any challenges with technology. Uh, I don't think we had any challenges with math. I think the biggest challenge actually was uh, ironically operations, because at Numerics, uh, I was running technology and I was running science. But operations were very competently run by other people. Craig Bouchard, uh, who eventually, after introducing us to finance, became the CEO. Uh, Brian Cook who was the CEO before before that. So uh, at Compatible, this was one part that I knew nothing about. So uh, we're constantly terrified that we would forget some filing deadline, that uh, we didn't realize that we had to pay tax in a particular state uh, that was due and so forth. So, so I think we eventually, we actually didn't miss any major deadlines or, or any at all, in fact, um, and uh, we learned how to run the operation side of the business. But uh, in the beginning, that was the biggest challenge. We just uh, had no idea how to run a company from the operations perspective and we had to learn on the fly. What would you say has been your biggest challenge since launching the company? I think it was managing the growth uh, and finding new engineering talent fast enough to take on new challenges. Uh, I'm extremely proud of the team, uh, you know, and thanks to this team that we won all of the awards that we won, including the FTF award this year. And it would not be possible without having the amazing skills on that team. 
but uh, we also need to grow. And uh, the biggest challenge from day one, right, and uh, to today, was to finding people who are just as amazing as the people we already have, fast enough to fill a new position, to to manage a growth, you know, to take on new clients. And thanks to our amazing HR and recruiters that we have, uh, I think it just, um, uh, you know, has been a tremendous ride. And now, you know, with the size that we have, I'm just as proud of everyone who is at Comparable as I was uh, when I personally was selecting the first few employees. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about the competition. How do you handle challenges from competitors? Are there ways to anticipate what might be coming? Right. I have a very personal perspective on this. Uh, I came from the former Soviet Union. And that's a country in which there was no competition. The government decided that, okay, so shoes are made by this factory, you know, pants are made by that factory or a few factories. And with no competition, there was no pressure, uh, you know, no innovation. And as a result, we have this uh, black and white TVs with, uh, you know, poor quality of everything, poor quality of services, poor quality of goods. So I first had an experience what happens when there is no competition. And that makes me very, very positive about the competition, even if it's competition against us. So I think that competition brings innovation. I think that competition just makes everybody better. And when everybody is better, then the tide lifts all boats and you know we make it uh, our software collectively as an industry work better for our clients. So we're not troubled by competition, we welcome it. And I'm a huge believer in uh, competition just leading the way in uh, you know how the software should involve, how the services should involve. So every time we see that uh, competition challenges us by releasing a new module or offering a new type of services, uh, we're happy because it motivates us to innovate. And uh, sometimes uh, we take the lead and sometimes uh, we follow. But when we follow, we always try to make it better. We try to take it to the next level. And uh, we're, you know, I'm very happy to uh, work with our competitors and uh, also all friends. You know, we meet at conferences, we go for a drink. Uh, so, you know, it's not a cutthroat competition as you see in some of the other industries. I think it's just something that's really positive for everybody. Mm -hmm. How does the ongoing commitment to research and development impact the company's offerings? Uh, the leadership in research and development is central to our product offerings because this is what makes us unique. Uh, there are many companies that have excellent engineering but lack outstanding quant expertise. Uh, and there are many very highly regarded specialist quant shops that uh, do just simply do not build uh, products or provide services. So it's very rare to combine both in one company and try to be, to be that company. So for us, uh, research is what directly leads to the product. Research is also often the reason why people work with us, why, why, uh, why we get clients. And uh, I'm very proud of our quantitative research program uh, that produced multiple innovations in models and numerical methods, uh, including uh, settlement risk, uh, the risk premium for the yield curve, uh, adjoint algorithmic differentiation, uh, and many others. And I'm continuing to work um, uh, very actively with our research team and as well as external collaborators on things like machine learning, uh, you know, models for credit risk, uh, especially pandemic era credit risk, uh, which is especially difficult. This is something that's uh, not only very important for us, but it's central. And I believe this is what define us, defines us. Is there a direct line between uh, the research and development and, and new products? Or is it a much more indirect process? Yeah, I think uh, uh, at Compatible, this line cannot be more direct. And this is what we prefer. And this is what we worked very hard to achieve. So one of the ways to accomplish it uh, is by using the same analytic platform, Compatible platform, for both research and commercial software. Uh, in many firms, uh, researchers work in a separate platform. In fact, sometimes uh, they just have their own uh, research code instead of a platform. So they work on Jupyter notebooks, they write uh, research scripts, uh, you know, they use Python to draw, uh, to, to, to produce charts. 
and once they are done, they hand over this code uh, to engineers, and engineers um, uh, then convert it to production software. Just like uh, a decade ago, two decades ago, Quants would turn over the handwritten notes to the engineers, and the engineers would code the, these notes. But that's not how we do it at Compatible. So at Compatible, we have Compatible platform, and it can be used as a production platform, and that, that's the foundation of all of our products, as well as is the research platform. So all of the researchers are using um, uh, the same platform to uh, perform the, the research. And once they're done, we can always, uh, without any delay, without having to code everything from scratch, move it to production. Uh, and uh, that shortens the development cycle. Also, when there are new innovations, when there are new improvements, even you know if it's such, such a simple thing as just a model improvement, we can very rapidly bring it uh, to production. And that reduces the time to new releases. Uh, it makes our code better. It also makes it more reliable, you know, less of a chance of errors. So I believe that making this line direct is absolutely critical to our success. Thank you, Alexander, for joining me today for this podcast. And thank you for sharing the story of Compatible's origins and its ongoing growth. And lastly, Congratulations for winning the FTF Award for Best Cloud-Native Computing Initiative. We hope to see you in person sometime soon in 2022. Absolutely. And uh, I would like to, to thank the FTF Selection Panel for awarding us uh, this honor. You know, it uh, really has been a tremendous experience. Thank you. Well, we hope you enjoyed this episode of the FTF Exchange podcast. If you would like a turn in the hot seat, reach out to us at info at ftfnews.com and let us know what capital markets topics you'd like to discuss. Also, be sure to sign up to receive our email alert so you don't miss out on listening to future episodes. Just visit ftfnews.com and click the sign up link at the top of the page. Thanks again for listening to the FTF Exchange podcast.